Welcome to the Chronic Sex Podcast. Chronic Sex talks about how self-love, relationships, sex, and sexuality are all affected by chronic illness and disability. That's not all, though. We'll also touch on intersectionality, social justice, empathy, current events, and much, much more. Given the range of subject matter, this podcast is not suitable for those under the age of 18, and unless you have headphones, you probably shouldn't be listening to us at work. My name's Kirsten Schultz, and I'm your host. Hey, everyone. Glad you could make it for this episode. Make time for this episode. That makes more sense, right? Um, (laughs) I wanted to give a couple updates really quick. Um, I was hoping to mix my episode with my friend Siren to put up today, but to be quite honest, I, I just, it's been thunderstorming here and my energy levels are shite, so it hasn't happened yet. Um, it will happen. I promise it will happen. But, um, part of it is like my anxiety is really high right now too. And I know it's going to take a little bit to do and I just keep putting it off. I'm going to be honest. Um, it's, it, it will be a really good episode, but like, I, I just suck at that right now. Anyway, <laughs> um, Today, I wanted to talk a little bit about a couple updates, and then um, since it's Arthritis Awareness Month, talk a little bit more about arthritis and the different things that it does. Um, But first, yeah, updates. So it is the third today, and... um, This last Sunday, Wine and Crime had a live show in Minneapolis, and I went, and it was amazing, 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 amazing. Um, There's something really cool to meeting um, some of your favorite content creators, but especially when, um, you know, you've been through similar things and uh, you have very similar points of view, and it was just really nice to be able to meet Kenya and Lucy and Amanda and talk with them. Um, If you don't know what Wine and Crime is, I have totally got you covered because they sent me a handy dandy promo for you to take a a quick listen to. Hey, true crime fans, have you listened to Wine and Crime yet? We're a true crime comedy podcast hosted by three childhood friends who chug wine, chat true crime, and unleash our worst Minnesotan accents. Each week, us gals pick a true crime topic and pair it with a delicious wine before delving into the background and psychology behind the crime. Then we share and speculate wildly about a couple of bonkers cases related to the topic. Past episodes include necrophilia, cults, crimes of passion, cruise ship disappearances, exorcisms gone wrong, all this over a bottle of wine, or let's be real, three. Listen anywhere you get your podcasts. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Wine and Crime Pod, and check out our website and blog at wineandcrimepodcast.com. Cheers!
They are amazing. <laughs> um, it's really cool to see um, and to start to become a part of like kind of like pod squads, <laughs> podcast squads. Um, and it's it's really nice uh, to be able to have that camaraderie between like content creators and talk about like tech things we hate and um, you know, things we like to do when we're recording and all of that. Um, it's just, it's just really nice. And I, uh, really enjoy the fact that, um, other podcasters are super supportive and all of that good stuff. And I'm wearing my fucking patriarchy sweatshirt right now, courtesy of Wine and Crime. Um, <laughs> and I've also noticed that, you know, they, they use very heavy Minnesota accents all the time to be silly. And, um, I've noticed my Minnesota accents getting really good, you guys. Okay. Hey, just gonna, just gonna sneak past you here for some ranch. <laughs> um, they're hilarious. You definitely have to take a listen. Um, not unlike, here they talk a lot about social justice stuff too and a lot about um you know sexual assault and working to end the backlog and they just do some amazing work and they they always seem to make things funny even if they're not funny because it it's like you can tell too like it's not even because you think it's funny is because you're trying to find humor in it because otherwise you're you're gonna cry and um I feel like that's something that a lot of us can definitely understand I think there's something with living with chronic pain chronic illness disability that like that's your normal mode of operation especially during this administration um and it's it's just really cool It's really cool. Go check it out because it's literally my favorite podcast. I drove four hours to like go see them and then spend the night in a frou-frou hotel because it was across the street from the theater. Like (laughs) it was amazing. Um, And they're almost better in person than they are at home. I say almost because I, I had to wear pants. I don't have to wear pants at home. That's the only drawback. And I had, well, and I had to pay for my wine instead of drinking my, for some reason, ample supply that I have here at home, even though I hardly drink. So (laughs) I, I will say that's a, that's a great thing about their podcast is that learning more about wines and different flavoring and, and just being more well versed in that world has, led me combined with my finally having migraine management um, has led me to be able to actually enjoy a wide number of wines and figure out some of the things I like and don't like, um, which is really nice. It's really nice, you guys. Go listen to them and support them. Plus, I won't, I won't say who. If you, if you listen from the beginning, you'll uh, hear about it, but one of them has type 1 diabetes, and one of them has a glass eye. Like, they are very much <laughs> um, chronically cool, chronically chill, chronically tanked. I don't know. Anyway, 
so that's that's my big fun thing was I got to go spend time with them and it was amazing um and I would do it again tomorrow if I could um other things coming up on the 10th, I am doing a workshop at Tool Show Toys in Milwaukee um, about the intersections of chronic pain, consensual pain, and um, sexuality. So that'll be fun. Um, Tool Show Toys is the first education-based sex shop I ever went to, um, and actually chronic sex started very specifically because of Lucky, the head educator at Toolshed Toys. Um, I think I've told this story before, but she came in and did a, a session on sex and arthritis at an arthritis introspective conference that was in Milwaukee in 2015. Um, over Memorial Day weekend. And I was very excited to go. Um, You know, I've talked before about the fact that I, you know, kind of have always done sex positive things. Um, And I think I was lucky enough, even though my sex education still wasn't enough to live in a fairly liberal state when I was growing up to the point where I have had, I think, a, a little bit better sex education background than a lot of people get. Um, and, you know, I'm sitting in that session and there are people in their 60s and people just 18 um, who are asking some very, very basic sex ed questions that I didn't realize people didn't know the answers to. Um, especially when we're talking about illness stuff. And it was just completely eye-opening. Um, and, you know, a couple months later, the chat started and the website started and then the podcast started. And then I started getting to be able to do presentations places. So um, come check that out. I'll put a link in the show notes in case you're Milwaukee- living or Milwaukee adjacent and want to come. Um, I have some some dates further down the line that I'll get up as well when we get closer. Um, I will say my next big thing is in June on the 17th in Montreal. Um, there's an organization that's having a one-day sex and disability summit, and I'll be doing the same presentation there. Um, which I'm really, really excited about, um, especially because like it happened over Facebook Messenger. <laughs> Someone messaged me and they're like, "Hey, I really wanted to go to that thing tonight, but like, would you come to Montreal and do it?" And I was like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> um, and the hubs finally got his passport, so we'll be driving up and taking in some sights and stuff on the way there and back. So I'm really excited. We haven't been to Canada together because he went in the days before you needed to have the passport. So um, I'm excited. It'll be really fun, especially because there's a Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame. um, And he's big into baseball. I'm pretty big into baseball, too. Like, our wedding was (laughs) baseball-themed. So... um, I think that would be real fun to, to stop there and 
taken some of the sites that I've been able to see on my own, um, but but get to share those with him too. So today, since it is Arthritis Awareness Month, I wanted to share some things about arthritis and hopefully correct some misconceptions people may have um, and uh, talk about medications and medication side effects that are potentials um, when it comes to sexuality that I think we don't talk about enough, obviously. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think that's going to be the outline of the show today. So arthritis, when, when I say the word arthritis, um, and more specifically when I say I have arthritis, people look at me like the fuck because I'm not 87 years old. Um, it's... I, people do not understand that osteoporosis and osteoarthritis are only two of over 120 conditions um, that sit under the arthritis umbrella. Really, the conditions under the arthritis umbrella are just those that have arthritis as a symptom or potential symptom. So um, Crohn's disease can be labeled a type of arthritis um, because it's not just limited to your gut, like (laughs) your Crohn's disease can, you know, elicit joint swelling and a lot of the same symptoms as different types of arthritis can. Um, To that point, arthritis is most of the time actually immune system based versus wear and tear or injury-based. I think that's something that people think of a lot with like osteoarthritis and osteoporosis that you might have a pitcher who has like pitcher shoulder um, because they like have thrown so hard for so many years that their shoulder is just fucked. And that's definitely a type of arthritis, but it's not the same. Like that and old person arthritis are not the same as the types of arthritis that actually can kill people. That's right. Arthritis can kill people. Um, a lot, like I said, of the arthritis types are um, immune system based. So they're either autoimmune or auto-inflammatory. Um, and the, the difference between that is simply where the, um, and I say this with love, not with anger or disdain, but where the oopsie or defect in in the coding is. So um, with autoimmune conditions, the idea is that you are more prone to them and it takes maybe something specific to trigger them. So you may have an underlying uh, like propensity to develop rheumatoid arthritis that is always there because maybe it ran in your family. And it just takes, you know, having a flu that lasts a little too long or getting strep on top of having the flu or something where it just triggers your immune system in the right way, which we don't know what the right way is yet, by the way, um, to actually cause an onset of your condition. Now that could be... Uh, this this is the leading theory, by the way. That could be an illness. That could be due to a trauma. 
that could even be due to hormonal changes with pregnancy. There are a lot of women and other uterus owners who have developed RA or other arthritis conditions after pregnancy or even who have had really like uh, mild symptoms of the conditions. But then with pregnancy, the changes that happen uh, like kick up everything in a very bad way. So maybe somebody who is able to get along without necessarily using um, some of the medications that are out there have to use them. Uh, Another really good example of that, too, while not entirely arthritis-specific, fibromyalgia is considered like a comorbidity. So it's very common for people to get fibromyalgia or have fibromyalgia once they have a type of arthritis. It's very common in a lot of autoimmune or autoinflammatory conditions, uh, but the having arthritis is a a pretty good predictor. And fibromyalgia can be set off by trauma. That's been proven in studies. Um, There was a study in 2009, I think, that actually looked at Holocaust victims, people who had lived through the Holocaust, and then their peers who had not gone through it. And just looking at them, I think it was like people who had been through the Holocaust had a 12%, like they were 12% more likely to have fibromyalgia than those who had not been through it. But there's even anecdotal evidence with that too. Lots of people who have been in car accidents and then their fibro developed, like Morgan Freeman. Um, He has really bad fibro in one of his arms specifically that is because of a car accident that he was in. Um... I don't remember how long ago, but it was, I think, like 2009, 2010-ish. And people were really concerned that he might die and just all this kind of stuff. Um, But, you know, he lived, obviously. And because of that, he has fibro in one of his arms. And he's actually been very vocal about the fact that he uses marijuana to help control a lot of the symptoms, which we'll we'll get into that Um but it's, it's a very common thing because it actually can help a lot more than other medications that are out there, especially for fibro, because a lot of the medications that are out there for fibro actually are meant to help with other things and just might help with fibro for some people. It's very hit or miss. <laughs> um, and, you know, this month is also Fibromyalgia Awareness Month. So, hey, hey, let's talk about them both. So arthritis in the United States, is actually the leading cause of disability um, in adults. So if we go really conservative with how we're estimating, about 54 million adults have doctor-diagnosed arthritis. So that doesn't count, you know, the people that are 87 have, you know, osteoarthritis or osteoporosis and know they have it and haven't necessarily taken steps to, like, get a diagnosis, It also doesn't count the almost 300,000 children and even babies that have arthritis or another rheumatic condition. So rheumatic condition is probably the 
the more linguistically precise way to say <laughs> an arthritic condition. Um, because again, it, it kind of removes some of the conditions like maybe Crohn's disease that can cause arthritis, but aren't necessarily like main forms of arthritis. It, it all like is up to interpretation a lot of this stuff. Um, which is, it's funny. It's funny. There's, there's a lot of different, um, conversations around which things should be arthritis, which things shouldn't be arthritis, and it changes depending on where you're looking. So, um, osteoarthritis affects 31 million Americans. And if we fast forward to 2040, there is an expectation, um, according to the Arthritis Foundation, that more than 78 million people will have been diagnosed with arthritis. Like, we'll be living at the time to, to have arthritis. Um, a lot of immune system-based arthritis tends to show up in women more than men, whether that's actually true or it's just like... And I'm really sorry for the gendered language, by the way. Um, or, or whether it's just like, I don't know how many of you are married or have a partner who is a dude, but like, it's pulling teeth to try to get my husband to go to the doctor when he needs to. And so I also wonder how much of it is like dudes wanting to like fit into that ideal, quote unquote, you know, vision of masculinity they're not sick. They can work through it. Just rub some dirt in it. Like, you know, so I, I wonder if that's actually a legitimate thing or if it's just skewed by, you know, who has more access to the physicians, who feels like they can go to a physician, like those kinds of things. Um, for rheumatoid arthritis, specifically women, I think it's like two to one. Um, that women develop versus men. There's a lot of different comorbidities. We've already talked about um, fibromyalgia, but heart disease, uh, diabetes, and I really hate that they have this on here as like a condition, but obesity too are all kind of comorbidities for arthritis. Common arthritis joint symptoms include swelling, pain, stiffness, and decreased range of motion. These symptoms may come and go for some conditions like mine, systemic juvenile auto, nope, shit, my brain, sorry, systemic juvenile idiopathic arthritis or Stills disease, um, there's there's kind of almost two onsets. You get the systemic onset that includes fevers, uh, this salmon pink kind of effervescent rash that usually comes out more at night. Um, and then, or is it the fever part? There's something else too. I'm forgetting it. But um, it's you you get this kind of systemic onset. And you get the joint onset, but they may not be at the same time. So that can be a very large barrier to people being diagnosed correctly, especially children. Um, because, you know, if a kid has a fever for like a week, 
maybe they're just sick. Like, maybe they just have a cold, like, something else. And then their joints hurt. Like, maybe they fell playing. Like, it's it's really difficult to get a proper diagnosis for kids accurately and quickly. There's a lot of different things that can happen with arthritis. Um, you know, you, you can have permanent joint damage and changes and... I hate the word deformities, but deformities. Um, for a lot of people with like rheumatoid arthritis, for example, that can mean your fingers kind of do this. Uh, I think it's called swanning, where they turn. Um, whether that's like if you if you hold the top of like your middle finger and like just twist a little bit. Like some of my fingers are like that. My index fingers specifically, where like the top knuckle is turned slightly in a different direction than the middle knuckle, and for some people that's incredibly um, advanced. Especially people who were around before biologics, where some of their fingers may be, you know, permanently bent and twisted in a way that makes it very difficult for them to use, which is not easy and it's very scary I think too when people are newly diagnosed because they go on and they google like rheumatoid arthritis and then you get all these pictures of people who were around before some of the newer medications and who you know may be on the newer medications now but that doesn't do anything to reverse the joint damage that happened before so it can be really scary to like google it <laughs> some of those things where you like go to the arthritis foundation or go to like another you know reputable-ish site first and then move forward with googling i don't know when i started being more active of and learning about my condition um is when i started writing and it's I started writing because of the fact that I wanted my husband, who was very newly my boyfriend at the time, to understand some of the things that were going on with me health-wise. And I didn't know, I didn't have the emotional intelligence to sit down and have the conversation of like, so hey, if I have a fever and like, I uh, pass out, maybe take me to the hospital. Like, I didn't have the emotional intelligence to have some of those difficult conversations. And it was just easier for me to write it. It's always been easier for me to express myself in writing versus verbally. Uh, because I, I think a lot of that has to do with growing up abused. I get very intimidated in person easily and can, you know shut down or have flashbacks and things and or just get really anxious and then I just don't say what I want to say. So for me, writing is a lot easier because it gives me time to think, gives me places to pull information from and link to. Um, and honestly, I like this podcast has actually helped me form a better way of speaking and, and doing presentations in public has helped me a lot. But like, it's still really difficult for me to feel like I'm expressing myself correctly when I'm speaking with someone versus like at y'all. <laughs> 
So I talked about that there were inflammatory types of arthritis, like RA, like lupus. There's also infectious type of arthritis. So like things like salmonella or other food poisoning can actually like trigger some arthritis symptoms. The same thing with some sexually transmitted infections like gonorrhea or chlamydia. Um, for other people, there's it's, it's like reactionary arthritis. So if you had an infection in your knee and then they went and, you know, tried to work on the knee a little bit, like in surgery to scrape out some of the infection or whatever, you may have reactionary arthritis. Um, one of my friends from college actually a couple years ago messaged me um, like, oh, hey, I just was learning about arthritis in like this class. And then they were talking like I thought they were just going to talk about like reactionary arthritis like my dad just had. But then they talked about yours, too. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> and it's always fun to get those kinds of notes. There's also like metabolic arthritis. So that's like gout. So your body is not metabolizing your uric acid enough. So then gout happens. There's there's a lot of different kinds, but it's a lot of it, honestly, is autoimmune based or autoinflammatory based, which did I go over the difference between those two? I did not. Um, so <laughs> autoimmune, I talked about that there can be something that triggers it and you might have a you may have more propensity to develop it anyway. That's in your acquired immune system. So your immune system that grows with you and learns with you. There's your innate immune system, the one that you're born with it mostly formed that, you know, carries immunity from your parents, like some of those kinds of things. And auto-inflammatory types of conditions, there's actually a, they think that it's a genetic issue within, like, the DNA that makes up your innate immune system. So that's kind of the difference. It's autoimmune. You have to think about it as what in common speak is your immune system. And auto-inflammatory is, like, your innate immune system. Like, if we think about lizard brain being, like, your instincts, like, this is the lizard brain of your immune system. <laughs> now I'm just thinking of Jurassic Park things. Because uh, I'm an adult. So, yeah, types of arthritis can include ankylosing spondylitis, which Dan Reynolds, the lead singer of Imagine Dragons, has. It can include Bechet's disease, which hurt blogger Britt Johnson has. It can include chronic fatigue syndrome, complex regional pain syndrome, Ehlers-Danlos, which it's actually the awareness month for that as well. Um, juvenile scleroderma or even adult scleroderma, Kawasaki disease, palindromic rheumatism, patellofemoral pain syndrome, which that I have too. And it's like your knees, the, the tendons and muscles around your kneecap and your knees aren't strong enough and aren't equally strong. So your um, 
your actual kneecap can like slide (laughs) and not be in the spot it's supposed to be in and it hurts. So that's what that is. Um, Psoriatic arthritis, Raynaud's phenomenon, Sjogren's disease, tendinitis and vasculitis are actually both under that umbrella as well. There's a ton of different um, conditions that fall under that. So there's a lot of different medications since there's a lot of different conditions. Um, There are things like analgesics. So those help to relieve pain. Some of them are topical. So there might be a cream that you get um, that you can use or something like Biofreeze. Those kinds of things are topical analgesics. Um, Over-the-counter medications that are NSAIDs or non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs like um, aspirin or naproxen slash Aleve. Like, like those are things that are also analgesics. Um, they're steroids. So corticosteroids or glucosteroids are the ones that you take for this, these kinds of conditions. So they're things like prednisone. Not my favorite thing in the entire world. Um, it's it's very helpful. I just don't like the side effects of like gaining a shit ton of weight and never being able to lose it. There's also when we get down to treating the actual disease course itself and not just treating the pain. Um, we've also got DMARDs, DMARDs, or disease modifying anti rheumatic drugs. And then there's also biologics. So let's talk a little bit about um, NSAIDs first because they're one of the most basic kind of medications. For a lot of kids, by the way, who have juvenile arthritis, they will try um, kind of like heavy doses of NSAIDs first to see if that will relieve your pain. And for some kids... Um, that can actually help stop their juvenile arthritis. That is not me. That is not a lot of other people. Like, <laughs> but but it, it has happened. It does happen. That's part of why they do that first. Um, but it's not, it's not great. I'm just going to say it. It's not great. So some of the benefits of NSAIDs are that they relieve pain. Um, They can reduce fever as well, fight inflammation, and protect your heart. The problem is that it can also increase your risk for heart attack and stroke. (laughs) Surprise! Some people have really bad allergic reactions to some NSAIDs. Um, Tylenol, for instance. I don't think a lot of people see it as a true NSAID because it acts a little differently. I actually react very negatively to that um basically anything with with a the pku warning on it so phenyl ketonuria or um you know that says that contains phenylalanine or splenda or nutrasweet or any of those kind of fake sugars i have a terrible reaction to um and it's because of the same component that's in Tylenol that I have a bad reaction to. 
it can cause a migraine. It can make me like vomit. Like it's not great. So <laughs> if you've ever had reactions to Tylenol, you're not alone. Um, it's actually mine's actually so bad that when we look at all those things that um, are diet or gums that contain those things, like there's only like three gum types I can have, and like two of them are at the frou frou stores, and one of them's bubblicious. Um, I can't drink diet sodas at all because of those fake sugars. Even the ones with stevia, I have a ragweed allergy, and stevia is in the same family, so I can't have those. Like, um, that's unrelated, but still <laughs> annoying. Because um, I'd like to, like, not rely on caffeine so much, but I do rely on caffeine a lot. So with my pain control, so I have to have it. Uh, it just it kind of screws me. Um, there's also like you can have kidney issues, fluid retention, bruising, stomach issues, and of course, and says like any other con- like any other medication, vitamin, supplement, etc can interact with other medications that you have. So um, it's always important to check your ingredients. When we look, too, at, like, the medical side effects of some of these things, some of the stuff isn't talked about with patients when they're like, oh, yeah, just take 800 milligrams of ibuprofen twice a day. Uh, um unfortunately, NSAIDs can cause some not great reactions in the sexual realm as well. Um, Now, all of these are not necessarily sexual, but they're things that I consider that could impact your sex life. So they may increase UTIs. Uh, It may be difficult getting aroused or maintaining an erection. You may have urinary incontinence or vaginitis, um, which is like swelling in your vagine. And then there's also fertility issues, which is something that nobody talks about. And it's a little fucking alarming. Um, Yeah, I was was absolutely floored when I learned that and like that nobody talks about it. I've been taking NSAIDs daily since I was six. So it's just like, the fuck? <laughs> um, I, I don't like to know that <laughs> before. Um, although, I mean, like, it doesn't personally matter for me, but having that knowledge is important. Let's talk about DMARDs. So um, there are a lot of different DMARDs out there. And they include um, things like methotrexate. Um, shoot, sorry, I hit the wrong button. <laughs> Plaquenil or hydroxychloroquine, Areva or luflonamide, sulfasalazine, um, cyclophosphamide, Zeljans. Otesla, like, like these are all in the DMARD category. So some of these things are 
like medications that really aren't used that much anymore or are kind of last resort medications, um, things like cyclosporine that are also used for like, um, what's the word? Shit, I've hit brain fog o'clock. Um, but that are used for transplants, organ transplants. There we go. Um, those are things that are often down the line when they can't, if and when they can't get someone's arthritis under control, they'll they'll hit that. Um, so that's not necessarily a first line of defense type thing. Usually the first thing that people get put on is methotrexate, which could also be Rumatrex, Trexol, or Trexup, or Resuvo. Um, that's taken once a week. You can do it as a tablet or an injection. Most people handle the injection better. Um, I've been on both and the injection was much easier for me because I get a lot of, um, like GI reactions from the methotrexate when I take it as a tablet form. I haven't been on it in years because for me, the, um, side effects vastly outweighed any benefit I was getting from it. I kept picking up everybody's tiny little bug, and instead of it being uh, two days of the sniffles, I had bronchitis um, and and things like that. So it's not it's not great for me. For some people, it works really well. And there's Dr. Alexi Grom, who's a pediatric rheumatologist at. Cincinnati Children's, he um, doesn't use methotrexates in his systemic kids because it doesn't work the the same way it works for other kids. Um, so if you have another type of juvenile arthritis, it may work really well, or another type of general like adult arthritis, it may work really well. But um, for systemic or Stills disease, it just doesn't it just doesn't work the same way. Um, I was really grateful to hear that because I'd been on it at twice and failed it at that at the point that I'd had this conversation with him, and it was really um, affirming and validating to know that I didn't fuck it up. Like, and that's something that uh, bothers me so much. We talk about that this patient failed this medication. Like, no, I didn't fail methotrexate. Methotrexate failed me twice. It failed me twice. So let's be honest with that. If the medication doesn't work for me, it fails me. It's not me failing the medication. Ugh, I'm going to step off that soapbox before I get crazy. Um, <laughs> like, super into it. But, like, luflonamide or Areva is a very common um, second step for people who can't handle methotrexate. I was on that the same time I was on Enbrel, and oh man, that was the lowest my sed rate was until I started my Kinneret. Um, that, that combo was amazing for me. I had a couple days where I really didn't have pain. It was fantastic. The problem is that one of the Areva side effects is that it can fuck up your kidney functions, and it was starting to do that. So I had to go off of it, even though it was probably um, the best 
medication that I have been on. Um, I've only been on a couple of the DMARDs, so methotrexate and Areva, I've already talked about. The first one that I was on was Plaquenil or hydroxychloroquine. Um, it, it helps a lot in lupus, and it can be really helpful for people who have other systemic symptoms, but um, for SJA or still disease specifically, it doesn't tend to work very well. Um, and that, that's, that's an anecdotal thing. Like, it's not just based on my experience. It's based on a lot of other people that I've seen be on it and be like, this doesn't fucking do anything. Um, it, it did help a little bit for me. But I think one of the tricks with that one, too, is you have to be eating enough. And I had just graduated college and was in grad school and working th- two to three jobs. So... I was not eating enough. <laughs> Let's be honest. I still don't eat enough, but my body also just doesn't, like, work on the shit enough. Um, so, so that's kind of the DMARD realm. And that tends to be where people hit first. When two to three of those medications have kind of failed the patient, they'll move on usually to biologics. So biologics are things like Embril, Symphony, Humira. Um, They can be either injections, whether that's a a self-injection, like a self-guided injection, like you draw it up into a syringe or it's already in a syringe. Or there's auto-injects where you push a button and then it stabs you in the gut or leg. (laughs) Uh, Humira and Enbrel and Simzia, I believe. All three have auto-injects. Um, I was on the Enbrel and the Humera ones for the auto-inject. And I like to have control of, of my syringe. I like to be able to see the medication going in. Um, I also like to be able to not be stabbed Uh and, and not have button malfunctions. I had a lot of issues when I was on Embrel where I had several batches where the you push the button and it doesn't actually load until you push it just right. I'm sorry. I have, like, I'm having, like, fucked up dinosaur claw hands right now. And, like, I have to sit here and, like, keep trying to push this button while I hold, like, a chunk of my stomach fat. Like, that just doesn't... It's not great, y'all. It's not great. Um, so these can be broken down into a couple of different categories. There's tumor necrosis factor inhibitors or TNF inhibitors. And these work by blocking the tumor necrosis factor. <gasps> Surprise! Um, it's one of the chemical messengers around inflammation. So it's, it's one of those things that work... Um, well for a lot of different inflammatory-based diseases, so whether that's RA, whether that's lupus, um, or like especially for Crohn's and ulcerative colitis, there's a lot of those things. And a lot of these actually overlap. Uh, Humera works really great for um, inflammatory bowel diseases like Crohn's and UC, and also pretty good for RA. So since it since it attacks one of those main like 
transportation systems for inflammation, it does a really good job uh, of helping a, a couple of different conditions. So I already mentioned a couple. Um, there's Simsia, Enbrel, Symphony, Humera, and Remicade. Remicade is, I believe, the only one of those that's actually given through an IV. Um, so it's a you have to go and sit in a um, infusion center for a couple hours to get that one done. There's, I mean, there's benefits and risks to all of these, and I definitely, if you are on these, learn them. It gets scary to read that pamphlet, but I am a big fan of drugs.com because if you go to the, like, side effects and contraindications section, towards the top they have all the stuff for the patients, but then towards the bottom they have all the stuff for the doctors, and a lot of the stuff in the doctor section is not in the patient section. <laughs> so, like... When I wrote my post about, um, like, medication side effects that can fuck up your sex life, I was reading the doctor section because a lot of these things are mentioned in the patient section. It's really interesting. But let's move on. So there's also two medications that are um, in the IL-6 categories. They work on interleukin-6 that helps block... Um, it, it, these medications are actually antibodies that help block the area that interleukin-6 attaches to cells. And interleukin-6 is a protein that helps, um, <laughs> helps increase your inflammation levels. <laughs> so it's a great thing to not deal with. Um, the first one is sarlit. <laughs> Sarilumab or Kavzara, and then there's also Tocilizumab or Actemra. Actemra I'm pretty familiar with um, because it's used a lot in systemic JA or Stills disease. That one is given um, either through an IV or I believe they did just release an auto-eject at home. Um, and then Kavzara is given through injection. Uh, Brituxin also treats uh, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and other cancers, but what it attacks are B lymphocytes. So lymphocytes are a type of white blood cell, and they're involved in inflammation. So it can help a lot with, you know, rheumatic conditions, rheumatic conditions as well. Um, you have to get like a loading dose of infusions um so it's like you get your first dose two weeks later you get your second dose and then every six to 12 months you get another dose and it there's a lot more likelihood that you'll have a negative reaction to that one um i know people who've been on it and do pretty okay with it but just as a heads up <laughs> um it's it's not necessarily the most fun. Not that all of these are fun or any of these are fun, but there's also a Batacept, which is Orencia, I believe, and that targets your T cells. So it attaches to the surface of the T cell and it blocks communication between them. And that one is 
an infusion. Um, again, you have to do a loading dose. So it's one, and then two weeks later, you get another one. And then two weeks later, you get another one. And then you can move to every four weeks. They also released a couple years ago um, an injection form, too. And then, last but not least, there's my favorite little biologic, Kinneret or Anna Kinra. And that, um, like, interrupts communication for interleukin-1 or IL-1. Um, and it, you know, it just helps stop the buildup of that. It's a once-a-day injection. It has to be refrigerated, so that gets interesting traveling. Most of these have to be refrigerated if you have them um, in order to keep the the cells within the medication alive. But um, I, I never thought I would be chill with, like, doing an injection every day. Um, when I when I started seeing my new rheumatologist, because I went to my old rheumatologist, and I was like, dude, you guys know I have systemic. Can we just do... Ectemra or Kinneret, please. Like, these are the two that are going to help me. Um, Two of the three that are FDA approved to actually, like, do shit. And, you know, they're like, oh, no, we just have too many reactions with those. So I switched rheumatologists. Um, And my new rheumatologist is amazing. And I came to her and I was like, look, I, you know, Simsy isn't cutting it anymore. I honestly just tried it because they were like, it's going to be similar side effects as what you have now. And it was like right before my wedding. And I was like, I don't want to deal with other side effects. So I'll do this if it'll buy me a couple months. And it kind of did. But, you know, it just wasn't doing what it needed to do anymore. And with them being on Kinneret for a month, my sed rate dropped from 40 down to 6. Um, which is, like, the lowest it's ever been. Still, it, like, tends to be higher now. It's usually, like, 8, 11, 14, but 20 is the normal. So I'm still well within normal ranges. Um, and, you know, I haven't, with the exception of when I've had, like, bronchitis or something, like, I I haven't had to really stop the medication I had a couple weeks of injection reactions, which is common when you start out this medication. Um, And, like, it got to the point where I had to, like, have the hubs give me an injection in the back of the arm, which is the only time I've asked him to do an injection because I don't want him to feel like he has to be involved in the medical stuff. I don't want to put that kind of pressure on him. And I also... I'm a control freak when it comes to that stuff, too. Like, I want to do it. Um, and it it sucked because then I had an injection set reaction on the back of my arm. And <laughs> just, like, itched like a bitch. But, <laughs> but it was good. It was a good experience. Um, and, and, you know, I've been on this medication for two and a half years. Whereas... A lot of the other ones, it was like, oh, six months, this isn't working. All year, this stopped working. And it's really nice to not have had to change that in the last two and a half. Oh, my God, almost three years. Um, which is absolutely 
amazing. I'm so happy about it. Um, it's, you know, all of those medications, whether it's the DMARS or the biologics, or even uh, steroids and NSAIDs can actually all increase your risk for um, catching stuff other people have. It, they all suppress your immune system to different levels. Uh, non-steroidals, like NSAIDs, very, very rare that that actually causes problems for people. Um, and even steroids, it's, it's pretty negligible for some people, but um, the other can, like the other medications can really like increase your ability to catch infections from somebody having sneezed in the room 20 hours before you got there. Like, it's amazing how that happens. <laughs> like, absolutely amazing. So some of the other sexual side effects with these things, um, methotrexate can cause vaginal dryness, decreased libido, and fertility issues. Prednisone can cause decreased libido. For some people, it causes increased libido. Um, the steroids are interesting in that, like, for most people, they gain weight. Some people lose weight rapidly. So, like, for most people, I think their libido pops up. For some people, it pops down. Um, it just kind of depends on your normal reactions to steroids, I guess. I don't know. Um, for Plaquenil or hydroxychloroquine, it's getting having difficulty getting aroused or keeping and maintaining erections. For sulfazalazine, um, the same thing. And that also brings reversible fertility issues. Cytoxin, which is um, one of the ones that is used in organ transplants, can cause fertility issues. And then for biologics or biosimilars, which are like the, <laughs> the easiest way to explain it in layperson terms is it's almost like a generic biologic although that's not 100% accurate. It's simply that, like, if Pfizer created Enbrel and now Teva has decided to create, like, this, this is a hypothetical. Pfizer created Enbrel, but, like, like the rest of this is a hypothetical. And, th and then Teva's decided they're going to create a an Enbrel biosimilar. It's not a generic. Um all it is is it follows the same chemical composition as Enbrel, but they can't call it Enbrel because it's not manufactured in exactly the same conditions, and it's manufactured by a different company. So that's basically the biggest difference. Anyway, those things haven't been researched enough to say what any long-term side effects are, especially within sexuality, which sucks. Because um, I don't know about y'all, but I like to know when my sex life's being fucked up. Um, I mean, it's not bad to have that information. Yeah, it's fine. Um, so that's kind of like a really big overview of arthritis. Um, when arthritis isn't treated, it can cause a lot of problems from joint damage and deformity up to and including death. Um, there are people who have passed away because arthritis fucks up their neck enough that, like, 
things start to not work or um, the most common thing is that someone passes away due to a complication with medication they're on from it. So um, sad story time. In December of 2012, I actually lost the first patient that I had met um, online who had Stills disease or SJIA too. Um, and she passed away as a result of, one, she'd been on a whole bunch of these medications. Some of them are new enough that she hadn't. But um, her immune system was basically shot. She had almost none. Um, and between that and the medication she was on currently, um, it, it was just really easy for her to catch an infection that you know, she was in the hospital, she had organ failure, and then the next day they thought they had stabilized her and decided to send her home. Why would you do that when someone's organs were failing the day before? Um, And within 24 hours, she was back in the hospital and quickly passed away. So essentially it was an infection that like went out of control because some doctors fucked up their shit. Um... And that, like, real talk time, that was an extremely hard thing for me to work through. Um, You know, I'm still close with her (laughs) mother-in-law-to-be. She had gotten engaged a couple weeks before I had. And so we were looking forward to planning our weddings together. And, like, we were even going to try to figure out, like, should should T and I just elope and go to England? And, like, should we have a double wedding? Like, I mean, really silly stuff that maybe wasn't based in reality, but, like, excited silly stuff and stuff that we were happy to share with each other. Um, and we were, we were gonna work on this site called A Very Spoony Wedding and talk about, like, planning your wedding when you're sick. And... It just, losing her was really hard. I had lost the one person who had been through not only the SJA stuff, but having a shitty family and knowing, you know, knowing like from a soul level what someone else has gone through in a way that people don't, like we just don't have those conversations or we don't connect on that level and it was really hard um right before she passed away I had had like C. diff and gotten really sick and like she was like hey please don't die and I was like no I won't but you can't die either and like we kind of joked about it um and then like a couple months later I had my fibro really kicked up terribly and finally got a diagnosis but like it she really had to do a lot of emotional hand-holding for me and emotional support because I was just wrecked and it didn't ever matter what was going on with her she'd be like what's going on with you and then like you'd talk about it and she'd be like oh I'm so sorry I have to go somebody in the hospital just brought my food and you're like wait you're in the hospital <laughs> like <laughs> what did I miss um 
and even even when she was in the hospital with organ failure, my back spasms were getting bad, and she was like, oh, please go lay down and get some sleep, and I love you, and it'll be okay. And she's literally dying, and she's telling me to take care of myself. There are not many people in this world at all that have that kind of empathy and compassion for another person and um it was just really hard sorry to make this episode a downer jesus um i was already struggling with my depression because of my fibro and to lose my best friend was already hard but then to also be like slapped in the face with a reminder of my own mortality because of my health was like it was really hard um especially after having just gone through like c diff and some major things like i was so scared and honestly like every time i've had to switch biologics since then i get so scared (laughs) because i'm like great like is this going to be the one that like makes it so I catch that infection and I die. Um, And it's just, I don't, I don't even have words right now to, to even talk about it. Um, I I know that she wouldn't want me to be afraid. And I try not to get woo-woo. <laughs> but I'm somebody that believes in some sort of afterlife. Because I've had enough experiences. <laughs> um, and, and so I know that there's something. Um... And on my wedding day, her mother-in-law-to-be had sent me um, some earrings that she thought would go perfect with my dress and, you know, well wishes for the wedding. And um, so, you know, I'm getting ready and I'm putting stuff on and putting my earrings in and I had to like step back and take a minute and it wasn't because I was emotional about getting married or (laughs) scared or any of that like I missed my friend and I wanted to share that day with her so badly And then all of a sudden, like, this wave of calm hit me, and it was just very obvious that she wasn't, like, not there. (laughs) And this is just one of those things that we don't talk about, right? I'm just why I'm not going to get down on myself for crying like I normally would. But it's really hard. You make friends. 
and you try to support each other, and then stuff happens, and it's terrifying, because then you're like, well, I don't want to get close to anyone else, I don't want to go through that again, but like, that's not the real world, you can't not get close to people, and, you know, I have some friends right now that have been in the hospital several times in the last couple months, even, like, in a coma, and it's just really scary. And it all always takes me back to that. Um, my friend Kenzie, who lives in Minneapolis, like, she was in a coma in January for, like, a week. Because <laughs> um, she wound up with pneumonia and just shit went bad and then she was in the hospital again a couple weeks ago and T and I didn't have any plans for the weekend and I was like we have to go we have to go I don't care that it's four hours we have to go and I just knew I felt that if somehow we didn't go, that, like, somehow something was going to happen to her. And it, I would have not utilized my last chance to see her. And when Laura was so sick and dying, all I wanted was the ability to, like, hop the pond. <laughs> And go to England and see her and I'll hold her hand. And like, to be in a position where I can't do that is really hard. been like as of December it'll be six years like it's been a long time and there are days where I don't think about her at all now but they're not a lot <laughs> like I'll be honest I miss her I miss the naivety of 2012 of not knowing someone personally that had passed away because of their condition because now it happens so often it happens so often and it's emotionally taxing even if you didn't know someone like in the systemic JA world it happens a lot and I have a lot of friends who are parents of kiddos that have it. And to watch them struggle with those feels and the fear and living in a state without a fucking pediatric rheumatologist, having to get airlifted to another spot, like, it's terrifying. And emotionally very taxing emotionally very taxing um 
Because you just never know. Like, is tomorrow the day I'm going to wake up and find out another one of my friends have died? Because... <sighs> and, and the thing that bugs me the most about Laura's stuff is... I, I read a book probably like nine months after she'd passed. And the person in the book, it was, it was like a autobiography type thing that talked about living with illness and stuff. And I don't even remember what it was, but the person in the book had essentially the same thing that was going on with Laura. And they were in the hospital for two weeks. And even then, they weren't sure they should release her. And Laura was in the hospital for two days. And then home for, like, maybe 12 hours. And then back in the hospital and died. Like, this is very clearly one of those things where physicians fucked it up. Physicians fucked it up. And that's scary, too. I think a lot of people trust their physicians so much that they'd follow them to the end of the world. And we don't think about the fact that physicians are not all-knowing, all-seeing, omniscient, badass beings. Like, they're human. They make mistakes. But unlike when you write something, like when you choose a wrong word, like, their mistakes kill people. Um... And it's terrifying. It's absolutely terrifying. It's one of those things that, like, really pushes you to advocate for better education for providers and better knowledge around rare diseases because systemic JA or still disease, whether that's juvenile or adult onset, because still disease, you can have both, um... it's a rare disease. So, uh, the fact that doctors fucked some shit up, you know, it's a rare disease, but also you should know not to fuck that shit up. Um, it's just hard, right? It's just really hard. And to, to live with that unpredictability, not only of, your health, like, uh, am I going to be able to take the three bags of recycling down to the garbage today? Um, obviously, I mean the recycling to the recycling bin, not the garbage, but they're next to each other. Um, like, or, like, is today the day I'm going to, like, catch an infection and die? Like, the unpredictability is so emotionally draining that... Frankly, it's no wonder we get fatigued. Like, if you just look at the emotional components, like, holy fucking shit. And then you add on the physical components of like, oh, well, you can't sleep more than four hours at a time and X and Z and Y. And (sighs) it's just a lot. And I'm sorry for crying. (laughs) Um, Although I'm also not sorry for crying because I think it's probably something a lot of people can relate to. Um, I just really don't like crying, (laughs) which is why I'm nervous laughing instead. So, um, welcome to the wonderful world of arthritis. 
if you're in the Milwaukee area, come see me when I'm not crying. Uh, on the 10th at Tool Shed Toys. And stay tuned for more fun stuff in the next two weeks. Love you. Chronic Sex is produced every two weeks by me, Kirsten Schultz. I use music from Pottington Bear because they're awesome. You can find show notes and more over at chroniccex.org. If you're enjoying listening to the show, please subscribe, and that way you won't miss a single episode. If you're on iTunes, it'd be really chill if you take a minute to rate the show, too. Not only does it give me great feedback, but it also helps the podcast get seen by people who may not know it exists, and that's pretty cool. You can support us over at patreon.com slash chroniccex. As always, you can find links to everything at chroniccex.org, from social media accounts to resources to sex toy reviews and more. Until next time, please take care of yourself and remember that you are a freaking badass.